I want to begin this morning by asking the question, is sincerity enough? Many people in this world have accepted the idea that all that is necessary to be saved is simply to be sincere. In fact, I could point out to you that the world in which we live has now embraced a doctrine known as pluralism that says that everyone's religion is just as good as another. That it doesn't matter which faith that you belong to, whether you're talking about denominations or even whether or not you're talking about someone who might be a Hindu, who might be a Buddhist, or might be a Muslim. That as if everyone's religion is just as equal and just as valid and just as true as everyone else's. And the idea is that it doesn't matter which one of these that you have chosen, it simply means that you must be sincere. A few weeks ago, I was going through some of my old files trying to decide what I wanted to keep, what I wanted to throw away. And I came across some drawings, sketches by one of my former teachers, Brother Thomas B. Warren. Brother Warren was such a great man in so many ways. He was a man able to reason with the scholars, but he was also a man who was able to take very profound thoughts and put them in a way that all of us could understand them. And these sketches, I thought, I need to work those into a sermon. They need to be seen by brethren today. I know these are at least 35 years old. So you have to recognize the nature of these sketches here. And he pointed out that many people in religion accept the idea of sincerity being enough, but God doesn't. And he points out that a preacher says, just be sincere and you will be saved. I want us to address three questions in our lesson today. First one is, is sincerity enough in other areas of life? Number two, I want us to look, is sincerity essential in our religion? And I can go ahead and tell you, it absolutely is. And then to look at, is sincerity enough as we study through the examples in God's Word? Let's begin with the idea that when you start thinking about sincerity in the various areas of life and As you begin to think about some various areas, you, for instance, may think about math, finance, education, agriculture, law, business, medicine. Now, if in all of those areas we do not accept sincerity enough, then why would we accept it in religion as well? So let's explore some of these, and these are the drawings that Brother Warren gave. For instance... A person takes and ingests some poison and they go to the doctor and they ask the doctor, am I going to be okay? And the doctor asks, were you sincere when you swallowed this poison? And the man said, yes, I was sincere. I thought I was swallowing a vitamin pill. Okay, if you were sincere, then it won't hurt you. Oh, I understand, doctor, that I can eat poison as long as I'm sincere. And it won't affect me. You say, that's ridiculous. Or maybe the doctor giving you a diagnosis. And doctor, if you were sincere when you made that diagnosis, I know that I'll be okay. And the doctor responds, yes, sincere is uh, a sincere doctor makes a diagnosis acceptable. 
I know I told you that I thought you had an ingrown toenail, but you're having a heart attack. But you see, we wouldn't accept it there. What about a pharmacist? You carry the prescription the doctor gives you to the pharmacist, and he says it really makes no difference how you fill this prescription that I receive from my doctor as long as you're sincere. And then the pharmacist says, yes, sincerity is all that matters. And you'd say, I won't accept that. Or what about butchers? You go to the butcher and you say, butcher, that's dog meat that you're giving me. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm sincere in what I'm doing. Would you accept the dog meat? Or what about a person who is a criminal? And did I violate the law? And the question comes up. Well, if you were sincere, it really didn't matter because sincerity is all that really matters. What about a farmer? Farmer said, I wanted a harvest of watermelons, but I planted onion seed, sincerely believing that I was planting watermelon seed. The other farmer says, well, as long as you're sincere, you'll get watermelons. You say, no, that's not right. What about a teacher sitting in a class and little Johnny is sitting in the seat and it says Rhode Island is the largest state in the United States. And the teacher said, well, as long as you're sincere, your answer is acceptable. And you say, I know that's not right. Or what about preachers? Here's the treasurer. And he comes to him and he hands him a check and he says, I made your check out for $50 less than it was supposed to be, but I was sincere when I did it. And the preacher says, oh, you were sincere. That makes it okay. No, that's not right. Or what about math? Two plus two equals five, four, six. The student says, as long as I'm sincere, it does not matter. Or the student says, as long as I'm following common core, it doesn't matter. You understand the point that I'm trying to make. In serious matters, one expects correctness in addition to sincerity. I want the doctor to be correct. I want the pharmacist to be correct. I want the law to be correct. I want the teacher to be correct. I want the butcher to be correct. And I want the preacher to be correct. Because it matters. And it's important. Sincerity will not change wrong answers into right answers. That is so important for people to recognize. And so when we ask the question, is sincerity enough in other areas? You'd say, no, it's not correct. It's not right. That won't work. Well, let's ask the second question. Is sincerity essential in our religion? And the answer is absolutely yes. It's always essential to what we're doing because if I start going through the Bible, I can find out that the root of hypocrisy is insincerity or not being sincere. For instance, if you open your Bibles to Matthew 23, and I'm not going to go through this because... I simply don't have time to do so. But the Lord will respond to these group of people by saying, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he will follow that by pointing out areas in which they have demonstrated how insincere they are. They're just play acting. 
For instance, you tithe mint, anise, and cumin, and if undone, left undone, the weightier matters of all, love, justice, and mercy. You've tried to portray yourself as being concerned about the very smallest, minute matters, but you really are not concerned with the big things. They would, for pretense, make long prayers. They wanted to be seen of men. Their worship of God was not sincere. Their worship of God was only to put on a show before other people. And the Lord condemned that. The passage that Brother Jeff read a few moments ago in Joshua 24, verse 14. The children of Israel have been led to the edge of the promised land, and now they've gone in following Joshua as the leader following Moses. They've settled the land. What are they going to do now? How are they going to worship God? And he says to them, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Make sure that your service to God is not just because you're following some tradition. It's been the religion with which you have grown. But make sure that you serve God because you love Him. And you want to serve Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul's been talking about how the, the influence of bad things can corrupt a good congregation of people. And he says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Same words used by Joshua, sincerity and in truth. In Ephesians 6 and verse 5, Bondservants, be obedient to your own masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Make sure that the service you render is because you know you ought to do that. In Philippians 1, 16 and 17, I heard a great lesson on this passage this past week and about why some people are motivated to preach the gospel. And Paul would say, the former preached Christ of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. There are some people who preach because they love people. Their sincerity is there. On the other hand, there are some people who preach because they think that it will either bring them fame, fortune, or something else. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, when Paul is writing the young preacher Timothy, he repeatedly tries to stress the importance of a pure heart and a pure conscience. And he says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. If you're going to be a preacher of God's word, Timothy, be devoted to it. Be sincere about it. Now the third part of my lesson is the one where I think we begin to focus now on asking the question, as I go through the passages of Scripture and I begin to read them and I digest them, I ask the question, is sincerity enough in each of these areas? 
So what I want to do is to begin with some of these. I'll only just be able to touch upon some of these. But I want to take the first one with regards to David. And if you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6 for just a few moments, I'd like to ask you a question while you're turning there. What do you think about David? What kind of man was he? The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. It doesn't take one long reading the book of Psalms to realize that David loved God. David loved God's Word. David loved to think about God's Word. It was his meditation both day and night. He said, they were sweeter to me than honey in the honeycomb. They're better than gold, yes, and even fine gold. Psalm 119 and various verses from that chapter. As I get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant has been in the possession of the Philistines. David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And so what did David do? Chapter 6 verse 1. David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. I want you to just for a moment look at what David is trying to do. There's 30,000 men he has got assembled here for the grand and glorious purpose of bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Verse 2, And David rose with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up the Ark from there, the Ark of God, And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab. Now let me ask you a question. Did David just say, okay, let's throw it on any old cart we have available? No, he prepared a new cart for it. He wanted to show respect for it, so he had a new cart made. And then he goes on in verse 5, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments. They're going before the ark. They're thrilled. There's a celebration going on. Let me ask you the question. Did David sincerely put that ark on that cart? Did he assemble this great company of people to try to give respect for God and for the ark of the covenant? Absolutely he did. But if you continue on, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. What David did was wrong. And in fact, David later recognizes, we didn't follow the proper order. We should have provided transportation the way God had instructed for those men to put those poles on either side of that ark and to transport the ark that way because that's the way God said to do it. What David did was sincere, but what David did was sincerely wrong. Let me give you a second illustration. If you'll turn with me now to Numbers chapter 16... We'll look at verses 1 through 3 and then verses 31 through 34. Let me give you a little bit of background, what's going on in Numbers 16. In Numbers 12, there had been a challenge to David's or to Moses' 
leadership of God's people. He had married an Ethiopian woman, and Aaron and Miriam had criticized him for doing so. And Numbers 12, verse 3 said, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Because of their criticism, leprosy broke out on Miriam. Recognizing this, Moses prayed for her, and God healed her. Very next chapter, Numbers 13, and we'll look at it in just a few moments later, spies were sent out to spy out the land of Israel, and they brought back a bad report by saying that the land is filled with giants and we can't take it. And the people then began to complain against Moses. Who is this Moses? Look at his leadership. He's ineffective. He's not the kind of leader we want. He's not the kind of leader we need. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the sons of Peleth, and sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. Notice, 250 leaders. And it says, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. We're talking about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the men here who were renowned, respected leaders. Verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Do you doubt for one moment that Korah, Dathan, and Abiram thought that Moses was not doing a good job and Aaron wasn't doing a good job? They believed they were doing a terrible job. They believed they were not what the congregation needed and that everyone stood as a representative of God on the face of the earth and they needed to be removed from power. I want you to drop down with me to verse 31. It came to pass when he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with all their households, with all the men of Korah and all their goods, so that they went down all those with them alive into the pit. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Let me ask you a question. Were they sincere in what they did? Absolutely they were. But what they did was sincerely wrong. God had chosen Moses. God had chosen Aaron. Sometimes we don't recognize sincerely wrong can still be absolutely wrong. I'll give you a third illustration. If you go with me to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And right after the situation with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, if had that not been enough, and had not the ten spies who had gone and spied out also perished, But now the children of Israel are moaning, griping, and complaining. 
It says the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If we'd only died it with our brethren before the Lord, why have you brought up assembly into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or of figs or of vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle meeting and they fell on the faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The people are crying out and they're wanting to get rid of Moses and Aaron. And they don't know how to respond. So God's going to give him instructions. Verse 8, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water and thus you shall bring water out of the rock and give to the congregation and their animals. What takes place is, verse 10, they gather the assembly together. But Moses allows his anger to take the best part of him. And he says, here now, you rebels, must we bring water out for you out of this rock? So Moses lifted his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. But didn't God say, speak to the rock? He did. Hadn't God earlier, Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, at that point commanded Moses to strike the rock? Yes, he did, and he struck it. What were the mistakes of Moses? Well, evidently he let his anger get the best of him. And I know from James chapter 1, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You get angry, you're going to say something, you're going to do something you ought not do. And so Moses' anger got the best of him. But the second thing he did... He took it upon himself to say, look what we have done. And God said, you didn't hallow me before the eyes of the children of Israel. Was Moses sincere when he came to that rock? Well, he evidently was, but he was wrong. We could talk about the ten spies. Time will not permit me to go through all of them. Numbers 13, 31 through 33. Were there giants in the land? Absolutely. Did these men believe that they could not take the land? Absolutely, they believed they could not. But what happened was, is that God sent a plague. He killed those very men who spied out the land. Let me bring you to the New Testament. What about the people who killed Jesus? I mean the men who put him on the cross. Were they sincere in what they were doing? You say, no, they couldn't have been sincere. Listen to Acts 3 and verse 17. Peter says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did your rulers. That is, you didn't believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. You thought he was an imposter. You did it because of your ignorance. This is exactly what Jesus had said back in John 16, verse 2. The time will come when they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever 
kills you will think he offers God service. There will be people who will put you to death thinking they're doing what God wants them to do. They're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. We could look at the Ethiopian eunuch and look at the sincerity that he had and look at the way he looked at Scripture, but he was uninformed. He had to have Philip be able to provide him that instruction. Let me use Paul as an example. You remember when Stephen was stoned and they laid the garments at the foot of a young man named Saul? When Saul was standing there, was he sincere? Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am the chiefest of sinners. But Paul said he had lived in good conscience before God until that day. I could take and provide for you a whole lot more examples, be able to show you, but would that be necessary? Because I think all of us would recognize sincerity alone is not enough. Sincerity is necessary, but it won't save you. It's not sufficient to save you, and it's not sufficient to save me. Well, then what must I do? What God wants me to do is make sure myself, am I doing what is right? In 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, Therefore, brethren, make, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. We need to be the kind of people who look and say, Am I doing what is right? I may be doing it sincerely, but am I doing what is right? And so I ask this morning, have you been obedient to the Lord? If you'll take your songbooks, you're not a Christian, we'll be more than glad to assist you in becoming a child of God today. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to repent of your sins, let us assist you in being baptized so that you can be a child of God, your sins can be forgiven, and you can walk with God daily. If you're a Christian and you look at your life and you say, there's sins that I need to take care of, why not come this morning and let's pray together. Would you come while together we stand and sing?